welcome to the third episode of the Well Project's Leadership Exchange podcast. The Well Project's Leadership Exchange is a new series connecting thought leaders in the HIV community to explore one another's work, activism, and personal experiences. This series brings together cis and trans women and others who uplift women's voices across the HIV community and dialogue. On today's episode, the Well Project's Global Ambassador and Community Advisory Board member, Maria Mejia, and the Well Project's board member, Linda Scruggs, discuss mentorship and the vital role of self-care in the lives of advocates. Hey, hello everyone. My name is Maria Mejia. I'm the Global Ambassador for the Well Project and I am here today and the leadership exchange interview. I'm about to interview one person that I call one of my deep, biggest inspirations as an advocate, as a human being, um, someone that inspires me all the time since I met her. Um, and uh, I was, was, I mean, I, I could describe so many things about Miss Linda Scruggs, uh, but I want to let her introduce herself. I'm very honored to be able to interview you and um, welcome. Wow, thank you very much, Maria. I was ditto um, all the fabulous and um, honor that I have for being interviewed by you. Um, I am Linda Scruggs. I am, I, I would like to say I'm simply a woman um, diagnosed with HIV. I've been diagnosed for about 30 years now, um, and I um, I do what has to be done from the very beginning of my diagnosis. Um, so everything that you're talking about, those are just characters that had to be done. I am the co-owner of Ribbon. Uh, we are uh, HIV AIDS chronic disease, actually, um, consulting organization um, located in Maryland. Well, that, that is very awesome. Um, as far as, as me, um, my recollection of how I met you, because I've discussed this with so many people, we were in the first, I think, PWN Summit, and I heard you speak. And uh, I said, wow, she moves me. Because as you know, as, as advocates, sometimes we hear so many speakers, and so many speakers are very talented, but you had something that I was like, wow, I want to be just like her. I mean, you're an amazing orator. And uh, I said, she sounds like a preacher. So I remember that I just, I was like, who is she? Telling people uh, uh, when they finished, when we're eating lunch, who is she? And everybody was like, she's an amazing advocate. She's a very strong, powerful woman. Some were very intimidated. And I was like, well, I need to meet her. And uh, I, I, I approached you and I said, um, I introduced myself. And I said to you, how, how, you know, how you inspired me with your speech. And I said, you, you sound like a preacher, like a minister. And you said, well, I am. I said, oh, okay, there you go. So I wasn't wrong about that. So, so ever since then, I have had like just like a, a very deep uh, respect, as I said. And uh, recently also was mentored even more by you, you know, in the uh ambassador academy for you equals you and you know there's a lot of things that no matter how long i have been in, in, involved in this in this mission or in, in this thing that we called hiv and aids uh you never stop inspiring me 
Um, and that's the reason why I wanted to interview you because I look up to you in many ways. Mm. And um, I myself as well as you, I'm a long-term survivor of 32 years. So there's always going to be a bond there for, for me and, 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 and this respect. Uh, well, thank you, Maria. Um, and, you know, I, I am a minister. You know, a lot of folks know that, but then there's a lot of folks that don't know that. In the HIV community, it's never a hat that I've had to put on, but I think it's definitely part of who I am. Um, but I do think that um, what many people see when I hear folks talk about the inspiration and things that I bring, I think, again, I think when I started this work six months or so within my diagnosis, um, from the beginning, this is not nothing I wanted to do, but I definitely knew in 1991 when I started this, um, it was something I had to do. You know, we, there was voices, there were things happening around women. Um, and one of the things, one of my very early mentors who um, is a warrior and have already transitioned in the 90s, her name was Fern Johnson. And one of the things she was teaching me as she was transitioning from this herb to the next herb was um, always to be genuine and always to love everybody and always understand that everybody's story is their story and teach them. You know, she was, she always used to tell me I was a teacher, teach women particularly how to embrace their story, how to embrace their truths and not allow them to be the scary parts. And I think that um, I try very hard. I, I hear my ancestors. I hear um, a lot of folks in the early nineties when I started this, a lot of those folks are not here with us. You know, but um, I still hear Fern, I still hear Gigi, I still hear those ladies um, teaching me um, and reminding me as much as there are many men and women around the country say that I'm their mentor, say that, you know, I inspire them. I think I would like to think because I try to stay genuine. You know, even when I'm in a church, people at my church, like, oh, my God, you always tell the truth. I'm in church talking about you know being a hoe. I used to be a hoe. I you know, know, 30 I know, years. I know. Right, I'm 32 years free of drugs. It's like, you know, and, and I say that same thing I say in church. Who I am in church is who I am in the HIV field. I'm just me. And I've learned to be comfortable with just being me, you know. And so I think that that's I hope that's what people see and that they see the genuine part of me. So I'm honored to be interviewed by you. And um, I just love being me. And I love that the community has always allowed me to be me. Well, that, that is amazing, um, Linda, because you have always been you and you always make me laugh when you say that part about being in the church and saying that because I could just imagine some ladies going, but you know what? You're real, you're genuine. And you know, sometimes people correlate they relate to people that are genuine and real like yourself, not someone that's trying to portray an image and they're not, that's not how it is. You know, and, what would uh, I look like in white cotton stockings? That's what you, you know, always what, said, if, no, no, what no, would I show up? No. Right. I but preach in fishnets. My pastors oh. and them, they be like, oh my gosh, you got fishnets on and steam stockings okay. in the pulpit. That's okay. <laughs> that's me. That and you know what? And it, it, you're, but you're classy and elegant with it. There could be someone in a turtleneck uh, acting like they're uh, perfect, and they're sometimes maybe the worst ones, the ones that judge the most. Yes. So I will listen to someone like you a million times more, as an inspiration, as a teacher, as a mentor, than someone that tries to portray uh, perfection or that they're a certain type of 
way. So, okay, so you basically almost answered the first question, but I'm still going to say it that I have for you. Uh, but you kind of, um, and from what, what I took from what you just said, there's a lot of the people that are not here. You mentioned that you're 1991. Ironically, that's the year that I was diagnosed, uh, April 18th, 1991. And like you said, I believe that most, most of all the people back then, they're all gone, you know, which is, um, it's traumatic, but at the same time, you, like you, you could take a lot of their voices and just, you know, use them as an inspiration to continue on. And I believe that's maybe one of the reasons also you continue this work for them and for all of us. Um, but I'm going to still tell you, ask you the question because, you know, you never know, you, you might think, think of something also, or not as fine too, because you answered it. But anyway, can you describe how you started your path becoming a leader in the HIV community? And what was the spark? Yeah. So it's, it's quite interesting. So it, it's twofold. So I was actually diagnosed on November 21st, 1990. Mm. And at the time of my diagnosis, um, I was only a few years in recovery. I was changing my life. And suddenly I was pregnant. And I, um, I had my best friend, my sister friend, her sister literally was dying of AIDS during the time of my diagnosis. And I hadn't shared with my very best friend because her sister was dying of AIDS. And um, I'll never forget, it was the June after my diagnosis, I was sitting there and my friend's sister, who was an IV drug user, was literally days from her death and she wanted another blast. And I don't think she just wanted another hit. I think that her mind just knew that that's what she wanted, she should be doing. And she kept asking us. And I'm like, we never got you no dope. Ain't nobody getting you no dope. And we're literally, you know, and I'm watching her die and I'm trying to figure out how to live with yeah. you know, this diagnosis. And I'm watching her die. And she wasn't asking for her children. She wasn't, you know, thinking about her children. She was thinking about the streets. And I remember looking out the window. And um, at that point, my son was only a couple of weeks old and thinking, what legacy was I leaving Isaiah? If I was going to die like the doctor said, what legacy was I leaving him? And it was at that moment, I decided to do something different with HIV. I wasn't going to make it a secret. and. Um, with that and early on being in a clinic where there were a lot of women unlike me who babies were positive, my son isn't. Um, my first work really started with helping other mothers. Uh, we had a Make-A-Wish kind of program in our clinic and me and one of the nurse practitioners went to a couple schools and asked if our kids could come to school for one day. We knew these kids wasn't gonna make it but well, we had this beautiful little black girl named Brianna with a bush ball like this big on her head. And Brianna's one wish was she was six years old. She just wanted to go to school. And um, I didn't know that I was starting the rest of my life by going to my son's school and advocating for that principal who knew about my diagnosis um, to let Brianna just come to school for one hour, you know, and they did. And the joy that Brianna got out of that created a joy in me that I never knew imagined. And Brianna got to go to school three different days for like a couple hours each. 
um, and probably like two months past that, she did transition. But all she talked about that night she transitioned was for me to make sure I tell her teachers she loved them and what a great time. And I think I got addicted to that joy to help other people be okay and to live in their own space. I, and I know that was a long response, but that no. is how I got here. It was totally from the high of something I never did before. Cause when I was in the world using drugs, hanging out with the drug dealers, I was extremely selfish. Um, so I, for the first time in my life, I felt like I had done something to help somebody and not only they enjoyed it, I, it was intoxicating watching her and her family, you know, be able to take Brianna, you know, dress her up for her first day of school. Um, it was addictive. It was sad, but it was, it's, it's, it's an incredible space. And I always love speaking her name because it reminds me when it gets hard, I remember Brianna with that bush ball that big um, saying, Miss Linda, I just want to go to school. Wow. I, I didn't know that about, uh, about your story. And uh, it kind of reminds me of Ryan White as well, but in a little girl. And uh, mm-hmm. well, I want to thank you for what you did for her uh, because uh, I believe maybe that was the beginning of the tra- transformation that was due to start anyway in you. I don't think that you were a selfish person because I believe substance abuse is a disease. Sometimes we use it, it to, numb, to numb ourselves, you know, and uh, and a lot of bad things come with it. And I have seen a lot. I didn't understand uh, uh, substance abuse before until my friend passed away from, from it because I used to beg her, you know, please, either that or me because she was like a mother to me, but she, you know, and a long-term survivor too. And and one time she just looked at me and she just said, she just walked away from me. Cause I was like, it's either that or me, please. I beg you. And I was in the street. People would tell me, why are you, why do you love a crackhead so much? Excuse that. Maybe it has nothing to do with it. It's like a mother to me. And she's been on my mind a lot. And I just couldn't understand why she chose that over me. You know, so, you know, but now I, now I do because I know more about, about, about addiction and of what it does and what you described uh, when that person was almost about to transition and dying of AIDS, the only thing they were thinking about was drugs in the street. And that is very, very sad. So I hope that they, from back then, they're free now, you know, and they're in the light as they should be free of, of pain and, and what drugs do to you mentally and spiritually is a horrible thing. Uh, and it, what, it, you just yeah. And also, you know, the, any addiction, you know, um, hurts and break people down. Definitely the addiction of substance abuse. You know, it's a disease, you know, but the yes. addiction of hurt. You know, there's some folks who addition to their pain in that space, you know, um, shopping, yes. you know, anything that creates Eating. harm to yourself or others, you know, excessively. And, you know, in the community, many of us go from one addiction to another because yep. we um, have to find the healing space in um, ourselves. You know, and that's important in this journey of living with HIV. In 1990, when we were diagnosed, there were death yeah. sentences, you know, so all yeah. of, I'm, I'm a living miracle. I'm a living miracle. And, and, I, and with that comes responsibility um, to do this work. Because I am, I, I'm clear, know that, you know, I didn't sue those doctors who told me I would be dead in three years for the, you know, 
wrong diagnosis, but um, we are definitely long-term survivors, miracles from what we knew of the epidemic at that point. Amen, amen to that. And uh, wow, that was a very deep, deep response. And thank you, always, always inspirational and everything. So I'll, I'll proceed to the next um, question that I have. And uh, I know mentorship has played an important role in your life. Um, as it has in mine. To me, I feel like it's like a little chain. You help one, by that you help yourself, by helping the other person, uplifting them, they help someone else. And it all, it's like all like a little, like a little chain like that. That's how it, where it is um, for me. Um, it has played a huge role in my life. And can you talk a little bit about why you think it is important and how you work to mentor others? Why is it important to you? It's, it's huge to me. Um, and again, I, and I have to keep saying everything that I learned early on in this um, epidemic, you know, it just grew. You know, God gave it to me and allowed me to add value to it. But I was taught early on. I didn't come into this space knowing how to work in HIV. I didn't know how um, to advocate for folks. There were other people willing to share of themselves and of their truths. And, and, and they gave me, as I said, many of those folks who are gone, they left me the responsibility. And what I took out of that, the early trauma of the early deaths, literally I was working at Johns Hopkins when people were dying every day still. And women that I was working with, men, they left a responsibility. And what I realized, what they were saying to me, you can't be a leader if you're not leading someone, if you're not teaching someone. You know, leading someone mm -hmm. is not telling them what to do. It's helping them to step in your spot. So it's okay. important because leadership comes with um, vision. You have to have some vision space. So I'm not a leader if I want to stay in the same place for 20 years. I want to make room. Mm -hmm. And I'm always thinking, what's the next thing? So mentorship is important to me because when I step away, I want light-minded, light-thought people to fill up these seats or fill up new tables. So um, mentorship is important to build a broad community. If you're just in your community, that's one thing, but the HIV community is global. And we need yes. to make sure that, um, you know, there are a lot of folks in the community will find people with credentials and all that to do the work. But I have, from the very beginning, before I got a degree, I absolutely knew that I was a subject matter expert, you know? What I can tell you on what happens with folks in the community, what it means to be a drug lord girlfriend, what it means to have a shoebox of cocaine and why I won't come to clinic because this is because the cocaine package is showing up. You know, all of that is important, you know, and so mentoring is teaching people how to overcome that space. So if I'm working with community folks who don't know how to come out or who don't know how to get to the next leadership table. I'm not doing justice to our to my community. So mentorship is being willing to stand naked and teaching people that there's room at any table, anywhere you want to be. And that's important because HIV is still here. Even with this ending the epidemic, those of mm -hmm. us who are diagnosed with HIV, mm -hmm. we still have to continue being the voice, doing the work, and having the tools to do the work. I don't need to make everybody start chipping the same wheel that's already been chipped. Mentorship right. allow people a head start 
Um, Cause you don't have to do that if I already know the shortcut or I've already helped figure some of that out. Wow. You know, Miss Linda, um, I agree with you hundred percent. I believe that a good teacher and a good mentor wants you to be, or at least that's how I feel. I want someone to be better than I, that I was, you know, if you're a good teacher, that's what you're supposed to do, right? <laughs> you don't want to, or you, I don't, you don't, it's not about being on the spotlight. It's not about, it's not about your face, even though your face may be very visible. They sometimes as a Latinx gender woman, they show my face a lot because in my community, there's a lot of stigma still. Like you said, HIV is still here. There's still the same ignorance, the same stupidity, at least in my community and many communities. And uh, we still have to keep compounding it, but we need to mentor the, this, the new generations and even people that are our age or older that want to, you know, because right. we need everyone. You know, men, women, people that are negative, um, HIV negative, um, positive, and uh, so we can show the different faces of HIV. And uh, but you know, but it's not about us. You know, it's it's about all of us, and it's, it's our stories, and to make people empower them to be better than we are. And um, that's one of the things that you have done for me as an example. You know, and uh, it, I mean, I love. I, you always compliment me. You know that. And uh, you're very, but you really are a very unique woman and a very strong woman. And I, and yeah, like I told you, a lot of women are very scared of you. And, and they'll be like, I'm scared to talk to her. I'm like, what? She just looks like that. Why she do people like always say woman. that? I don't know. People say that about me too. I hear like, that. They say like, I'm always look like I'm busy. I think that women that are so strong and I, and I kind of like an alpha too, because, you know, I'm, that's one of the things that I see in you. Alpha, but with, 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 with compassion, you know, not alpha, the ones that are like, we're, we are alphas, you know, we're activists. And activists have to be strong yes. and we have to fight and your voice is strong, but yet, yet yes. it's gentle. Because I also have seen you as, as, in, 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 as, as like, a, like a psychologist, like a therapist, when, when uh, as you know, one of our uh, one of our sisters uh, sisters uh, passed, and I was there what firsthand receiving that impact that I've never seen before. But I also saw how you were able to calm that human being down when no one could, you know. And uh, it's just I could go on and go on about you, but I, I know that this has to be. Please don't. You know? <laughs> but yeah, but there's like a lot of different things that I will always keep in my heart. And as an, an inspiration for me and what to do in certain things and in certain ways. So I'll proceed. And this is something very important. One of the most one that I've always had difficulty in. And I seem never to learn until I bust my, my head or until I burn out. So we know in this thing, we burned out a lot. We burn out a, a lot. We get burnt out as activists. We get burned out, let down, sad, or just you know it's we're tired you know sometimes we're going through a lot of things ourselves and it's kind of hard to give when you have nothing inside but to you have to give yourself so this is something that i that i really do want to hear from you what you do i think i've asked this of you before but i hope that everyone uh maybe could, that will learn something from you uh as far as this this subject that i think is important sometimes um uh, I, f I feel like one of my biggest challenges in, in this work that I do and that we, we do is making sure to take care of myself um, as I work to help others. Can you talk about creating and honoring boundaries in the name of self-care 
Now, so sometimes no matter how important you know those boundaries are, it's hard to maintain um, them when someone really needs you. Do you have any tips? Because I sometimes break the self-care when I see it's extremely urgent. Like, I'm going to die if you don't answer my question or something. It freaks me out all the time. I don't, it's too much death. So I think that um, definitely you said it, boundaries. I, um, I think as advocates in the community, we have to have boundaries. Um, and because, you know, um, I haven't self-labeled myself the leader you know, I didn't one day wake up and say, oh, I'm this leader. Um, I remember the community gave me that title. And I was like, how, how is that? Um, because we take care of people, whether we're speaking on behalf of them, whether they're calling us with their stuff. Um, I think one of the things that I do, I do have a schedule. You know, I create space for me. I create space for my church family and I create space for the HIV family. And I try as often as possible um, to stick to them. And I am very selfish with my me time. And I've had to learn how to do that. Um, yeah. Because often I found is the person who called me and says, oh, I'm going to die if you don't respond. A couple of times I really couldn't respond. They didn't die. Okay. You know? So, that, you know, and often it was because of something they didn't do. And now they wanted to be my urgency. So I had to, you know, figure, figure out why people and who was it that was showing up and to realize that, um, and I love this one. I tell my parents and my family this all the time, you know, again, based on the doctor's diagnosis, I was dead in 1993. So why y'all asking me? So okay. when I, you know, when I take me out of the center of everybody else's life, it's easy to have self, self-care. And when I let folks know, um, that this is my time. Even at work, I do it. Yesterday, I wasn't anywhere. I was training. I put a, I put an out of office message. Said based on my schedule, you may have a delay in, in um, emails. I just couldn't have the energy to keep emailing. I had work to do. That's self care. Not being there for everyone all the time. So it's Thank creating you. that. Um, it's affirmations. If you were in my office, there's artwork. There's crafts. You know, part of my boundary is I wish I could, I should have pulled it down. I have this beautiful clock that I just made oh, out I of magazines. I use, I use HIV pop magazines, pause and all of those, and I made this clock. You know, so I so that self care time, me making, using my hands to create. Um, and I use those magazines because I've had them all in my basement, all these different pauses and everything. So I said, oh, this is how I keep the faces of my friends and their stories. Um, so it's you no know, self-care is something you do intentional. It's not a bubble bath with candles. That's not self-care. No, it's not. That's what we do for pleasure. You know, self-care is something yeah. you do intentional for you. Um, yes. and you have to, and it's okay to be selfish. We have a lot of needy people in our community. And as we grow older and build our leadership, a lot of people want to pull on us. But again, that's where mentors come in place. So if I can't, I can say, hey, I need you to call so-and-so or I can text so-and-so. Can you follow up? Because I've got mentees around the country that it don't have to be me. You know, I don't have to be on every webinar. I don't have to be the keynote. I often people are like, well, you're giving away your money. No, I'm not. I'm giving somebody else an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I'm Bless tired. I'm busy. I have something else to do. So understanding that self-care is also saying no or I'm yes. not available. 
you know, um, and that's easy to do if you take your you out of the center of everybody else's something and you make you your own center. Wow. You know, I'm going to take that into account because it's true. Even though I'm getting better at it, it's a lot of people that kind of like... Um, not blackmail you was, you know, make you try to feel, make Emotional you feel bad. Like, I thought you were such an activist. I thought you, you were a humanitarian. How can you not respond to something so simple? But what they don't know is I have like a thousand inboxes that haven't responded. And if I do all that, I'm going to get sick. Sometimes I'm not, I don't have the strength. But there's some things like, Maria, I just got diagnosed. My, I'm going to commit suicide, me and my children. And they put you in these situations where... I used to be kind of be forced because mentally I'm like, how about if they do kill their children and themselves? Uh, what am I going to do? But you know what? You're right. They're still there. You know, I don't take, I don't, I don't play that anymore. I, they could curse yeah. me out. They could say whatever they want, but I have to come first because when I'm there in that bed sick, who's there? My partner? Because I'm lucky to have a partner. Uh, but if my partner wasn't there, I'll be just me and my dog. It would be no one. So because almost all my friends are, you know, they're in other states, in other countries, and also because of COVID, which is another issue in itself. Uh, so I have to take care of myself and my mental health and all of that. So um, I really, really appreciate that advice. Uh, because you're right, you know, and uh, I will, you know, I have to learn to be selfish and that's okay. And whoever doesn't like it, that's okay too. Uh, and know that we give, we give a lot, Maria. So, you know, yeah. and people tell me that I can't believe you said that. And I, and I've had, though, I thought you was this too, you know, and I tell them you're right. I am all of that, but today I'm unable or I'm unavailable. You're um, human. You know, Yes, so that's okay to not be available, um, mm -hmm. you know, and not because you have any big something to do. It's just sometimes, you know, when you, particularly, I think, and I don't know if it's particularly as a long-term survivor, but I've been doing yeah. this so long. Um, there's some days I don't want HIV to be the center of my day. Yeah, yes, I'm a person who work in the field. I live in the, you know, my first thing in the morning after washing up and getting ready is taking pills. That's my first moment, you know, yeah. um, in my real part of the day. And then I come into this space where I'm talking about whether, you know, ribbon does HIV, we do cancer, we do hypertension, diabetes. So I spend my day talking and working with sick and hurt people. So yeah. there, you know, we have the right to say, you know what? Mm, I can't do that today. Cause it's important to just for today is just for the day. I want to do something else. Or that day, I, you know, we try to squeeze one more meeting in a day that we have five meetings or five Zooms. You know, it's okay to say no. But I, every time I say no, I always have somebody to recommend. Right. I always have somebody to recommend, you know. Mm -hmm. This, right. whether it's a care call, it's a health check, or an opportunity to speak or to educate others, I always make sure if I'm saying no, but I'm saying, well, here's two or three other people you can call. Okay. That's a, that's a very good thing. And I also try to do the same. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it, it's so important. I was just thinking about something else that sometimes the pressure's not even for, at least for me, from other, for, from others, even though it is, 
but I'm the one that pressures myself the most. Like sometimes I'm in mental anguish because a friend passed or, or something, you know, I, I'm going through the pre, you know, like stress, a lot of stress, depression and things that I go through um, or triggered by PTSD or whatever the case may be. And I have, I'm very like disciplined and I have a commitment and I've had the people say, you know, if it's, if it's not, if you're not okay, we could leave this for another, another time. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a strong woman. It doesn't matter. And that leaves me worse because it, I'm already going through mental anguish. And sometimes you have to force that brain to kind of disassociate yourself from the bad feelings that you're feeling. And sometimes that leaves you even more depleted. So sometimes you're hurting yourself because I, I don't know why I'm that way, but I'm really hard on myself. And I could be with open wounds or whatever the case may be. And I'm always having to be like, no, you have to do it. Even if you're dying, even if you're this way or that way, I don't know that constant trauma from childhood being told that you're just, on nothing or you'll never amount to nothing that you're so hard on yourself and uh but I have to be like that even be 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 tough on myself with that yeah uh, and so a piece that we didn't talk about you know you were just noting you know that trauma and mental health space um yes I too you know I come from a background of many traumas even before HIV and some mental health space so another place of uh, self-care for me is knowing when I needed a therapy check-in you know, early on in my diagnosis, I spent a diagnosis, I spent a lot of time in therapy. HIV introduced me to mental health services. You know, now I don't necessarily go see a therapist every week or every month. Right. I understand the triggers. I understand I have some tools that I've gotten from therapy, you know, particularly as a black person, you know, we kind of think we, you know, you say go to uh, therapies like I ain't crazy. Well, no, I'm not crazy, but sometimes one of my tips or self-care is knowing the tools. And for yeah. me, having therapy check-ins are tools to help me um, release other people's stuff. You know, we live and work in a field that death will happen. And one of yes. the things my dad told me was one of the consequences, this is like really serious. I keep saying this because folks keep dying. He said yeah. one of the consequences, Linda, of surviving any illness, he said that means that you will continue to live and long as you live and the older you get, you will experience death, right? Yeah. So how do you come to a peace with that? It is, you know, my dear friend Gigi is not experiencing this because she's already transitioned. But my, you know, me surviving, I have to come to an okay place. Um, even if that person, you know, as you were saying, your friend um, transitioned as a result of substance use. Nobody wants that time, to happen. All the time. But, you know, but that's her story. And still you can champion her. It's not yes. about the substance abuse with her. It was about her. Somebody else could, you know, we've had some great advocates. Um, Dolores Dockery transitioned a couple of months ago because yes. of COVID. It's not I about know. COVID. It's about the great person that Dolores was, you yes. know. So, again, knowing that, you know, when to check in and knowing how to let stuff go is important an important tip particularly if you're an advocate or if you work in HIV every day and you're living with HIV having a therapy sessions allow you a place that's unbiased to release other people's stuff 
Because a lot of us are walking around with heavy baggage that's not even ours. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's what therapy does. They teach us tools how to release some of that baggage. Um, and it's not negative baggage. It might be Louis Vuitton, you know, or Hartman luggage. You know, it doesn't have to be bad baggage, um, but it's other people's stuff. And we just, sometimes, often many of us who are in the field don't benefit on mental health services. So we can take people information in, help them, but then we don't go somewhere and release that. And learn the tools how to just carry out stuff long-term and unfold that. You know, I agree 100% with you on that, Ms. Linda. One of, um, and I know with with COVID-19, uh, a lot of people, people are isolated and depressed and scared. And uh, they used to have other ways to kind of like release that through the gym, through just places that they can't go to anymore, or even just traveling, going to the conferences and, and seeing they're like a family, because it's like a family. Like I would see you, I'd be like, hey, you'd be like, oh, I love your shirt, right. or I love this and that, right? We don't have that anymore. Yeah, we had a family reunion. Yes, that's how I used to say. So it's been cut off of someone that me, like myself, I don't have a lot of people around me. So it's affected me in that way. But I do have a positive mind that things will get better. And um, and there has to be a way to unload that, that luggage that you say that is sometimes not even ours. You know, and through many ways, but but I, have, I guess we all have to keep on working. I have to keep on working on it and we all keep do working this. at it. Yes. One, like my mom says, one day at a time. One, well, she's Catholic. So she says one day at a time by the hand of Jesus and the Virgin. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, mom, one day at a time. <laughs> but you know, it's true what she says, one day at a time. What can we do? It is one. It's right. One. Exactly. So uh, last but not least, uh, I would like to know, which I believe I know a lot of the answers to that, I think, but what keeps you committed to our community and to your work? Those 40,000 new HIV cases every year. Yeah. That young woman, that young man who just enjoyed the sexual engagement that does not know yet that their life just changed. Um, I have many times said, oh, I'm leaving. I'm going to go do this. I got a degree now. I'm going to go do this. um, The stigma is still there. People still hurt. Um, And I think, you know, one of the gifts, I know that's a gift from God. I love everybody. Amen. So even when I'm not liking somebody, or I'm not even liking me, I know that... um, I got to keep showing up. You know, I got to keep showing up. Even if I leave this room, there's another room. There's so much work to do in HIV. You know, if I don't be here, there's always somewhere else to be. And um, if none of that works, Maria, I always remember Brianna with that big old bush ball. Brianna. Um, Yeah, she is such, I wish I had a picture of her. She is such a rooted part of my commitment when everything else doesn't work and I'm home and I'm in my bed crawled up, you know, looking like a little turn up or something. Um, because as a leader, I go to my bed and cry too, you know, as a leader, you know, I'm, I have vulnerable places as a leader. I get hurt. People say mean stuff to me in the HIV community. 
People do mean things to me in the HIV community. Um, But I've also learned not to take it personally, brush it off, and know that not just until we end new cases, until everybody I know have been cured of HIV, I don't see why I can't be committed. I'm all in. You are all in and you will, I believe that it's going to be like that. Even after, if I mean, if there's a cure in our lifetime, I think that you will always be there because the traumas that we're going to have, I mean, that many will have from living with it and the loss of living with any yes. condition that's like HIV could be cancer, I'm HIV. Is, and, and for us, like you said, that they, your father, I believe, explained to you, uh, which is what I'm enduring now. And for, even though in the 90s, like you said, everybody was dropping like flies. Seeing the death yes. continuously, continuously, people dying. That's happening to me right now. And uh, I just sometimes it's just overwhelming. But it's going to continue happening because I'm getting older. And because I have, you know, people around, my activist friends, and my, almost all of them are, you know, living with HIV or um, diagnosed with AIDS. And, uh, or have other things like cancer and, you know, and HIV. And uh, a lot. A lot of them, and as as we grow older, people die, people die, and um, mm-hmm. and also people are a lot of people are dying of suicide. A lot of my friends that are long term survivors. We definitely have to take care of ourselves and um and teach other people what mental health services are is yeah. really important. You know um and also you know I've definitely known folks who as well have had mental health and um, issues and have committed suicide. You know, yeah. and it is so hard. We had a family member actually recently, um, and they didn't tell anybody in the family. You know, so literally sorry. we found out over a month after this person has been dead a month. Oh and my, uh, my mom finally found out. And it's hurt, you know. We yeah. have to as people, you know, we're living in a two epidemics at one time. I just said that in another interview that people with HIV were already in an epidemic. Exactly. We're not talking about COVID, and I know the interview's almost over, but we are living in a compound epidemic, and we also are watching how the world is responding to this new epidemic, and some of us got some resentment because that's not how they responded to the other epidemic. That's not how they're responding to the communities. Um of HIV, when we talk about funding and housing and all those things mm. that people living yeah. with HIV, those social determinants of health, you know, we're struggling and fighting daily for that. And suddenly, and I and I get the new epidemic, you know, the stimulus checks and everything that came out, but there are a group of us in this first epidemic still feel, you know, some issues with that. We still feel like, oh, we yep. have to protect ourselves now, but now we got to protect you again. Or you're learning from us and it's struggling. You know, some of the early research they were doing in vaccines around COVID was totally out of the HIV epidemic. But if we're the worst part of society, but you're looking first at how we've been able to do this. So um, we're living two epidemics and we're trying to figure out the balance of staying healthy, staying well. I've known a couple of people who actually have um, transmitted COVID. And they're really? thinking, you know, is COVID going to kill me? Or is this also going to trigger something and suddenly I'm dying of AIDS? So there's a lot of spaces um, that, you know, we still have to do this work. People still need support. 
People still need to grow. People still need education. Our community, um, and I, again, I know we have to get ready to go, but the workforce, you know, uh, I am on a target looking at how do we train people with HIV to be part of all of this new workforce, not just HIV navigators. We There's a whole global workforce that's getting ready and is starting to happen around us. How do we get our people employed? How do we get our community educated? Um, and not everybody's going to go to a college, but even some beginning how to go to work. There's trainings that we need to put together. We have yeah. some in Ribbon on how to get people ready to get a job. You know, how to take your 20-year drug um, lifestyle and create a resume. I can do that. I, I did. My first resume at John Hopkins was built on me knowing how to make money, knowing how to be trustworthy, knowing how to manage time. And you can do that. We also, that's a piece that we have to do in HIV, right. is teach our people how to become sustainable. You know, and because I, I am sure to run believe that People will take government checks, but if you give that person the skill and give them meaningful employment okay. with a meaningful wage, I'm going to every day take $1,000, $1,800, $2,000 a month over your $500 or $804. Okay. You know, it's, it's a no-brainer, and I'm still going to get my benefits. So that's a big part of what I'm really looking to do in coming. You see a lot of me talking about workforce and getting people trained to work in HIV, but also outside of HIV. I hear people saying they want to go to work, they want a job, they want, they have a dream, they want houses, they of want course. cars. You're not going to get all of that in that sense. And I do believe that, and I adamantly know that in the HIV community, we have some brilliant people, some capable people. New, newly diagnosed as well as long-term survivors right. who still want to or have a need to um, have meaningful employment. And meaningful employment is a wage, not a stipend, a wage. A wage. Mm -hmm. You know, I yeah. agree with that 100%. And part of one of the things that I do is uh, now is the MEPA trainings. And I believe that is mm -hmm. practicing MEPA. And, one of the, you know, and not because I love the WELL Project, but that's one of the reasons, I mean, Well Project practices me all the way through. Though I started as a volunteer, right. now I'm working with them part-time. And you don't understand what that does to me mentally. It helps me mentally in every way. It makes me feel productive. It makes me feel like 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 matter, not like a token yeah. or used. And it helps me feel independent. Because one that's of the right. things as women or that have been through maybe domestic violence or whatever the case may be, is being independent. That's what my mom always said. Right. Always learn to be independent and not depend on no one. And, uh, right. and, and, you know, that is one of the biggest things that I always talk about with the World Project. They gave me that opportunity and I will be eternally grateful to them. Um, so, Ms. Linda Scrubs, I really want to thank you so much. It was a true, true honor. I have learned so much in this interview as I always do when I speak to you and I know so many will. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Um, just again, just thank you. I thank you for the work you're doing, you know, and for the ladies who are going to view this, you know, the work ain't easy, but the reward is grand. You know, I love being able to say, 
oh, I have somebody for you. You know, I love being said, oh, you need to talk to this person. To know that I, we have folks who are champions in this battle and that they're committed, um, you know, hang in there. You know, um, it may be cloudy today, but the sun is shining somewhere. And that's what we can, you know, we can hold on to that peace and not just be strong, be present for yourself in the midst of taking care of this great big community. Be present, you know, you take and breathe and then you have enough air to share with somebody else. Thank you very much, lady. I love you. I appreciate oh, you. I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the third episode of the Well Project's Leadership Exchange Podcast. You can watch and listen to more episodes on our website, www.thewellproject.org backslash exchange. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. And don't forget to share.